1: The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense.
0: Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, professor of history at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of the War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Napoleon famously said, an army travels on its stomach. More broadly, one can say that any army is only as effective as the equipment that it carries, and that equipment does not simply drop from the heavens as a gentle rain. The process of identifying, developing, and acquiring the most effective equipment is often invisible, but is essential for building and maintaining the most effective fighting force, as the emperor himself discovered on the road to and from Moscow." As self-evident as its significance may be, however, the Army's acquisition system remains something of a mystery to those who are not immersed in it, and it is important that all within the Army and those on the outside who hope to understand the institution as a whole seize every opportunity to understand it. Today is just such an opportunity. Our guest to discuss the Army's acquisition process is Lieutenant Colonel Jason Tate, a student in the Army War College's class of 2020. A former battalion and brigade chemical officer with deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as service at the Pentagon, his most recent assignment has been Radar's project manager at Aberdeen Proving Ground. Welcome to A Better Peace, Lieutenant Colonel Tate.
1: Ron, great. Great to see you today. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. So let's start from scratch. Okay. Right? Describe the Army's acquisition process in, in layman's terms.
1: All right, so the Army acquisition process is typically uh, the way that the Army procures equipment. So uh, most of your equipment that the Army has, particularly your big equipment, uh, tanks, uh, Bradley, fighting, Bradley fighting vehicles, they all have a project manager, uh, and that's somebody that uh, essentially uh, manages the development, testing, and uh, acquiring the equipment. So it typically starts off with a requirements document. And so that requirement document uh, typically uh, is developed by TRADOC. And the TRADOC guys, they, de- they they determine exactly what they want that product to look like and what they want it to do. After after that happens, it essentially goes to um, a industry partner, and we award a contract. And we end up uh, developing a prototype vehicle or, or piece of equipment, and then that equipment is tested. And if the test goes well, based off what happens during the testing, uh, we may make some adjustments and then it's filled it uh, after we buy it.
0: And uh, when you say TRADOC makes the initial uh, decision, uh, is this, where is this centrally located? So TRADOC.
1: Are they at Leavenworth or at the Pentagon? So TRADOC headquarters is at Leavenworth, Mm -hmm. but uh, essentially what we have in the Army, we have different centers of excellence. Mm -hmm. So when I uh, was the Radar's product manager, my centers of excellence was fire centers of excellence, and it was out at Fort Sill. Mm -hmm. So the team at Fort Sill, they came up with the requirements document. For example, for the Q50 radar and the Q53 radar, and they gave the specifications of what the radar should be able to see, how far, and they gave pretty much the left and right limits of that equipment. So we put that uh, those that information into a requirement document, and that requirement uh, that requirement document was actually. Signed off by the guys at Tradoc, and it eventually went to industry in some shape, form, fashion, and uh, industry developed that that piece of equipment. Uh, once they developed it, we took it out to the field, tested it um, with the Army testing evaluation guys, and they um, gave it a score. Basically, gave us some do outs. Go home and fix this. Then we got it fixed, and kind of it it kind of goes back and forth until you get a product. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the Army, well, first of all, this equipment that we develop, typically is pretty technical. And so a, a lot of times it doesn't exist on the commercial market. So we have to go in and do a couple of things. Either we start with a baseline piece of equipment, uh, typically referred to as commercial off-the-shelf equipment cots. So sometimes we can start with cots and modify it, and sometimes we just have to start from scratch. And so in the case of radars, uh, I think at some of the very, very micro level, you probably have commercial type equipment. But as you go forth and build the radar up to the main components, you have to uh, develop specialized equipment to conduct the mission.
0: I'm, uh, I'm reminded of a joke that's often associated with NASA, but is made a lot of times in military contexts, is uh, officers tell themselves, uh, we can all rest assured knowing that our life depends on this piece of equipment that was supplied by the lowest bidder. (laughs) um (laughs) but but i am curious uh, the the connection between uh sort of the the initial uh uh, decision for a particular piece of equipment but then that that element of back and forth of the testing that leads us to be sure that when it's in the hands of the warfighter that it's at its best
1: so um funny that you should have a a a nasa joke i don't know if you've ever seen the movie pentagon wars oh yes sir uh (laughs) that is a great movie that gives a lot of credence to the testing guys the Mm -hmm. the 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 testing guys do a great job and and at the end of the day we have a give take i would say even sometimes probably contentious relationship but at the end of the day they do the warfighter and the u.s taxpayer a great service because a lot of times when you're making your own equipment you're um, not as impartial as you should be, mm-hmm. and so the 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 ATEC uh, command is a very uh, objective um, group of guys and gals that 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 uh, really hold the line and hold the project managers and the product managers accountable to ensuring that we deliver the warfighters the, the best equipment. Indeed, um, how did you become a PM? Oh, you <laughs> want that story? So <laughs> so when you you have to apply to the Acquisition Corps in the Army, and mm-hmm. I'm going to tell a quick story. So when I was a lieutenant in Germany, we deployed to Albania, mm-hmm. and so I saw these guys get out of this Land Cruiser, come over to the uh, Battalion Tactical Operations Center, the TAC, and they asked for the XO. And uh, they essentially uh, were there to buy us and, and set up some contracts because we were deployed to albania and the airflow had stopped uh for the kosovo to to support to support the kosovo war and so uh i got to talking to them and asked them about their job and they told me that they were acquisition um corps so i did some research on it and i just kept that note in the back of my mind and i just kind of researched uh about the acquisition corps and so uh Got involved with it, it it's the business side side of the army, and it just kind of piqued my interest. And uh, as soon as I commanded at Fort Campbell, uh, you know, I, 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 I quickly applied and got in. And so it's been a great career choice since then. I mean, I've loved it. Uh, it's interesting. It's very challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing is guaranteed, and and especially in terms of developing equipment and getting it through the bureaucracy and the pentagon because everybody has a vote and so it's really like herding cats to get something developed mm-hmm. uh get the contract awarded tested and then filled it i mean it is a huge milestone
0: and you've been at this since you were a captain since you were... since
1: i was the senior captain so i was assessed into the acquisition corps in 2006 mm-hmm. and um been doing it since 2006
0: how about that um did your I, I like the story you tell about how you discovered the idea of the acquisition, of course, so was it that the, was it that the guys who got out of the land cruiser looked like they had uh, they'd actually been in a warm place and uh, and had clean clothes?
1: So I kind of skirted around it so so <laughs> so yes, uh, we were on a sheep field uh-huh. in Toronto uh, Albania, and uh, we had been there for a while and it would rain uh, all night, and the sun would come out during the daytime and it would crust over the mud. And so I was just thinking, you know, deep down inside, somewhere, someplace on Earth, in the Army, life's got to be better. <laughs> and so uh, those acquisition guys looked pretty clean. They were stepping out of there, laying cruising, cruisers in khaki pants and uh, coming to uh, talk with us. I was like, man, that's may, that may be a nice life. So, <laughs> I, what have, Since you've been here at the War College
0: as a student, I'm curious that I know from my own seminar experience that the people— uh, my seminar has people who are in uh, acquisition and management. And so when, when management questions come up, every head turns to the person who works in management and acquisition because the other folks don't know anything about it. What, uh, what's the, uh, what has your experience revealed to you about how the Army in general understands or misunderstands the acquisition process?
1: So I think uh, there's, a, there's not an appreciation for the complexity uh, of the system itself it's really an educational process to kind of walk people through it uh one thing that i would say that we as an army does not do is we don't like to have a conversation with the defense contractors uh at the end of the day i think we have to realize that the defense contractors are a for-profit business mm-hmm. and they have to make a a, a profit to satisfy their stockholders and so a lot of times we want to get them down to the lowest bid, and that's there's there's give and take in that. And so just just having a conversation, an open dialogue to see what's in the realm of possible and and, and getting an honest conversation from industry on, on on saying yes, okay, yes, that's what you want. This is the money that we have. This is this is the product that that is available to develop. And so really, it just goes back to just having a dialogue and just really sit down and talking with the uh, mm-hmm. industry side of the house, and that's something that I think the Army doesn't do a great job of.
0: Mm-hmm. Because you think that uh, the the process is is sort of siloed off from most of the people who are actually using the equipment.
1: It It is, uh, and so I've seen that change a little bit more. Uh, for example, uh, during my time in the uh, product management shop at Radars in Aberdeen, uh, I didn't realize how much industry was engaging with the centers of, of uh, excellence. Mm-hmm. For example, at at the uh, at Fort Sill, they would come out. I think about quarterly, and they would have essentially a contractors' breakfast. And so the contractors would actually talk with the commanding general, the CG, and they would talk about their product and what was in the realm of possible, good and bad. Uh, the the good part of it is it opened up the dialogue. Uh, the bad part is that the um, acquisition project managers or, or or program managers typically weren't there, and so sometimes um, in in the spirit of selling their equipment, you know they may have oversold a product, mm-hmm. but um, that's all part of building that 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 uh, team. Uh, you've got to have the right people there in the room, not to necessarily counteract it publicly, but to kind of tell okay. Here's the so what, mm-hmm. and yes, they promised that. But here's the rest of the story. Right. So uh, there's, uh, I think the army's getting better, mm-hmm. uh, but I think we just have to make sure that the right people are there to to receive all of the briefs and the mm-hmm. and the discussions and be part of the discussion.
0: And so that also would I would I would guess would require more effective. Sort of training and cultivation of program managers at every level. Yes, um, yes, did, yes. So I imagine for you, was it uh, was it sort of on the job training as a?
1: So I I would say yes, some on the job training. Uh, one of the best experience that I had was being in the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I served as a Department of Army System Coordinator, and I I arrived there. I was a senior major, and so I got a chance to essentially uh, shadow uh, Colonel project manager uh, for a for major acquisition programs and so I did that job for about two and a half years and so that job taught me so many things um, not necessarily about how to be a good project manager from a cost schedule per, per performance side of the house but it taught me about relationships mm-hmm. and it taught me how you have to have all of your stakeholders uh, online um, assuage all their issues or concerns that they may have before the major meeting before a decision is is made and so just watching those guys um doing that two and a half year process was great now my job doing during that time frame it really wasn't a necessarily a great job i i was really a on a the coordinator, um, and I took a lot of notes and wrote a lot of executive summaries. But to be able to watch and be in the meetings with the defense acquisition executive, the Army acquisition guys—I mean, it was just a true great training ground. And so I carry a lot of those lessons, even uh, so much as how the um, budget process worked mm-hmm. during the year. Just just being in the Pentagon to actually witness that paid a lot of big, you know. Uh, it just worked out well mm-hmm. to be there
0: because when you talk about the stakeholders, so we're thinking this is the uh, it's not it, It's the army. Yes, for sure. But then also in the office of the secretary of defense, mm-hmm. right? The as a dt and I can't remember yeah, the yeah and e right that um, that you so these are the folks who have to get together to to hash out these these details yes. and then um, the role of uh, when you talk about sort of the centers of excellence, right? So right. they're so somebody from Oklahoma comes to the Pentagon to the Pentagon, to, yes. to be part of this, and so the idea is, is to maintain this continuous dialogue internal, internal to the military, but then also externally to the to the contractor. Yes. I am curious, right? You only work for the Army, so you can, correct, you yes, can, yes. You yes. Know, um, but um, but have you had much uh, experience with uh, joint and jointness questions w- with uh, with uh, acquisition thus far in your career?
1: So not a lot with the joint uh, side of the house. I did work when I was in the Pentagon as a Department of the, of the Army System Coordinator desk. Mm-hmm. I worked on the uh, Joint Air to Ground Missile Program. Uh, mm-hmm. So the JAGM program uh, is a replacement for the for the Hellfire missile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it had a joint component in which we worked with the uh, mostly the Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, just aligning the different services and just making sure the funding was aligned was probably the big challenge mm-hmm. that that we experienced on that program. does make it a little bit more difficult when you do the joint aspect of the program because that's just more stakeholders that you have to really get online. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Army wasn't, um, well, correction, the Navy wasn't as... Uh, as, as uh, aggressive in assisting with the JAGM program. They did a good job. They came through eventually, but uh, we had worked out a deal with the defense acquisition executive that we would not hold up the program uh, waiting on the Navy. Mm-hmm. And so the Navy was able to come in and supply money later on to complete some of their specific requirements. But uh, that was one great thing that we didn't do was, was hold up the program waiting on the Navy. Once a
0: once a uh, a piece of equipment has been sorry, identified, tested, acquired, mm-hmm. right, and now it's being supplied, does um, what is the role of the acquisition core uh, afterwards? Is the acquisition core involved in uh, further refinement, or do, do you hand that off to somebody else?
1: So uh, depends on what kind of equipment we are procuring. Mm-hmm. Typically, uh, in today's landscape, even after we have developed tested and procured the equipment. Uh, we still have to do various updates to the equipment. The, uh, most, the most equipment we procure, uh, it requires software updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do these things called uh, P3IS product uh, placement improvement. And so um, we have to continue to ensure that the capability is uh, basically developed and able to keep up with the evolving threats. So depending on exactly what the equipment is, it some of it may transition to sustainment, mm-hmm. uh, which means that a lot of times the depots do a lot of the uh, resetting of the equipment. But at the end of the day, there's typically somebody in the PM shop that's working either uh, with the depots or somebody in industry to ensure the the uh, product uh, is continued to to be updated. For example, take the the Bradley fighting vehicle Mm -hmm. you know it's been around speaking of the pentagon wars right (laughs) it's been around for over you know four decades and so uh but that's not your same bradley that came out you know four decades ago uh there's been a lot of resets and a lot of upgrades uh done to the bradley Uh, and so the bradley itself is really uh the bradley fighting vehicle in name itself uh the only thing that's probably the same is the bones you know because everything has been continued to be upgraded. That's mm-hmm. everything from radio, software, uh, tracks, belts, just just everything. So uh, even even after sometimes it goes to sustainment, or or even often we have to continue to manage it from the program management side to ensure that it can keep up and combat the current threats.
0: Who uh, who and how does uh, does the army decide? Uh, who, who in the army and how do they decide uh, when you get to a, a certain point with a uh, with a piece of equipment that this can't be upgraded. This needs to be this needs to be rebid, and somebody needs to give us a a brand new one. Because I, I can imagine, right? The Bradley changes like the Ford Mustang today right. isn't the Ford Mustang in 1965. At least we still call it the Mustang. Right, 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 right. Um, as uh, you know, at what point does the uh, does the Army say, you know, what we just need to somebody needs to come at us with something brand
1: new here? So typically, what's what's happening is our trade art counterparts actually make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um. So it it depends, and the reason why it depends because the portfolio has a lot of pressure on it. Uh, just just from a funding standpoint. Mm-hmm. So what? I uh, I I'll just back up for a minute. So we haven't um, we haven't really done a great job of modernization. We being the army we, or being we the, being the United army, States. and I dare say, DoD in general mm-hmm. hasn't done a great job of modernizing the force over the past two decades. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we've been fighting in two wars in the Middle East, and so meanwhile our competitors have kind of done a lot of upgrades to their fleet, our mm-hmm. near-peer and peer competitors, which is China and Russia, and so we have to figure out a way, and the Army's moving toward that through the cross-function teams. But to get back to answer your question, so tradeoff typically uh, d- decides if they can afford to either upgrade the equipment or buy new equipment. Uh, the reality is a lot of times it's just easier, simply easier to upgrade the equipment mm-hmm. uh, because you don't have to go through the long acquisition process and do all the different tick marks and check marks. Um, and so a lot of times the easier path is to just upgrade it. But I think we're getting to the point uh, based off what we're seeing uh, our other countries, Russia and China, where we have to modernize and that's come up with something new. Uh, different costs. At some costs, at the end of the day, we can only modernize so much. Mm -hmm. And I think the uh, big five, you know, that came out, you know, in the 80s, they've they've done a great job, but they're probably past their prime, and, and we should look to other so I'm gonna I'm, type.
0: I'm, I'm, I've failed this quiz, but I'm gonna. When I think big five, I think the Abrams tank and the Bradley. Fighting Abrams vehicle. tank,
1: Bradley fighting vehicle, the Apache. Uh-huh. There's probably a couple more that I'm probably uh-huh. don't at know. at least those, those. those three for sure. So, so those three for for sure. Those are your major acquisition programs that were essentially created during the during the 1980s. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Uh, you know we've done great jobs of upgrading, but it's time to. Um, move past that and i think the cross-functional teams the cfts that that the army's uh, getting after right now and modernizing the army they're actually doing a good job of uh of uh getting after that so they can make sure that we're ready for the next fight
0: all right well and and so along those lines getting ready for the next fight do you have uh particular recommendations or ideas for how the uh, army acquisition process can move into the uh the information age and uh what do you think's most
1: crucial So I think uh, the thing that I think is most crucial, I'm going to say that um, we have this item that just the regulation was was created uh, December 2019, middle tier acquisition. Mm -hmm. And so middle tier acquisition allows uh, the project managers to actually either rapidly prototype or rapidly field equipment. So under the rapid fielding, we'll start with that one. If the technology is there. Uh, then you test the technology and you eventually um, procure the technology and you filled it all this should happen in a less than five year time frame mm-hmm. under the rapid prototyping aspect if the technology is there but it may need some development some development or you know massaging to get it into the a mill standard type setup then I think um, that's something that is being worked from a rapid, Prototyping standpoint, and and so this came out underneath the um, NDAA 2016 mm-hmm. National Defense um, Authorization Act, mm-hmm. and so the Army has been a bit slower to take advantage of the uh, mid-tier acquisition process. Now mm-hmm. the Air Force has taken off, and they've got about 24 programs. Okay, you know inside that program, so I think not. So I think publishing the. Actual regulation that was published in december uh d o d five thousand dot eight o was published in december by d o d but I think uh we have to from the army's standpoint we have to do a information campaign, and I think the uh army acquisition executive has to uh give some guidance to his staff and probably go out and ask them to um pretty much make the workforce aware of this because I think at the end of the day we have the tools. Mm-hmm. To transition into the information age, we need to just make the workforce aware of it and let them know this is a priority. So the Army did this great probably about three years ago when they were uh, foot stomping OTA. OTA is Other Transaction Authorities, which is a contract mechanism that allows you to um, work with industry a lot quicker mm-hmm. and it uh, breaks down a lot of the barriers. Everybody across Aberdeen, uh, the Pentagon, the the buzzword was OTA, Other Transaction Authority. So I think if we put that same effort into the mid tier acquisition, I think that'll go a long way to actually make sure that we get in, we, we get after trend just the process to the information age.
0: There's something quintessentially. Defense Department about calling something OTA when then of course in the budget you then have TOA just so that you can confuse people, <laughs> um, but uh, but that that of course uh, that that that's a way to prize insider knowledge right. Yes, you can yes. See those two. So for you, Jason. Mm-hmm. So after you uh, after you successfully complete your time here at the uh, at the U.S. Army War College, right?
1: Pending comps. That's right. Pending comps. That's all right. <laughs> um,
0: I can't say I can't say when this is being broadcast, so we'll see whether uh, you know, how it turns out, but. We'll, we'll think positive thoughts, but um, you're going to stay in the, uh, in, in the Acquisition Corps?
1: Yes, Ron. I, uh, I will be leaving uh, this summer. My family lives in Aberdeen, Maryland right now, and we'll, we will be moving to Huntsville, Alabama uh, to assume duties uh, within prog- the, the program executive office for Missiles in Space. Uh, I will be the radars. Uh, project manager and so I will have responsibility for all the air defense and field artillery radars and sensors uh, so it's, it's basically expanding my point, my portfolio from Absolutely. what I did uh, a, a legendary previously.
0: location for missiles in space
1: got all got it has NASA there uh-huh. uh, along with a lot of other you know great assets there so it's a great it's a great great area fantastic
0: well Jason I want to thank you for uh for joining us today for for this conversation uh, i'm i'm sure that our uh that our listeners learned a lot about the acquisition process and uh i hope i hope it uh, uh this is always a, a little bit of an exciting thing for for students to get a chance to be on the uh, on the podcast not not because it's so exciting to talk to me but because they get a chance to actually talk about what they do so i hope that uh, i hope that it was as uh exciting for you and informative as it was for us but uh thanks so much jason tate and thanks to all of you for listening in. Please uh, send us your comments on this program and all of our programs and send us suggestions for future programs. Uh, check us out on our website. We are always interested in hearing from you. But until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Grenieri. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.